Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything crimey, murdery and weird. Hi Darklings and welcome back to the Darkened Doorway podcast. Today we're delving into the horrifying story of Catherine Knight, a homegrown, at least for us, murderer. Now I will mention a trigger warning for this episode. We will be talking about rape, suicide, animal cruelty, domestic violence, murder, cannibalism and child abuse. So if you don't want to hear about that today, skip over to one of our other episodes and we will catch you there. This is a juicy one. First up, we should talk about who Catherine was. So Catherine was the daughter of Ken Knight and Barbara Rohan. Catherine's mother, Barbara, had previously been married to a man called John Patrick Rohan, who was known as Jack. They lived with their four sons in Aberdeen, a small country town in the Hunter Valley region of New South Wales, until Barbara began an affair with a co-worker of Jack's called Ken Knight. Since this all went down in a small country town, the tea had officially been spilt and Barbara and Ken became complete outcasts and they decided to move to Moree, another rural town in New South Wales. Now, new relationships can be hard when you have children, so Barbara's two elders stayed with their dad. The other two were shipped off to an aunt in Sydney. Barbara and Ken then went on to have four more children, which included Catherine Knight, who was born in 1955 on October 24th. Seriously, they needed a TV. Or at least a Netflix subscription. (laughs) Definitely. I think you need a TV for a Netflix subscription, but that's okay. Use your mobile. (laughs) True, true, true. Was the 70s. Mm, There is that. So Catherine Knight was also a twin. Mm. Unfortunately for her previous children, Jack actually passed away in 1959 and her two older sons ended up moving in with Barbara. So it was a pretty full house at this point. Now there isn't a whole lot of information about Jack and what type of husband he was, but it seems Ken was another matter. So Ken was a heavy drinker and when he was drinking, which was all of the time, he would become violent and actually rape Barbara upwards of 10 times a day. Yowzers. Mm. Now, fair enough, Barbara was probably very traumatised over this, but there isn't much of an excuse for what she did next. Barbara would tell her daughters, who were children, intimate details of her sex life and how much she hated men and sex. She seriously needed to make some friends with females of her own age because that's not something you tell children. Definitely not. Definitely not. So Catherine later stated in her life that she approached her mother to discuss and seek advice regarding a partner that she had who had asked her to perform a sex act which she didn't want to take part in. And Barbara actually said to her, put up with it and stop complaining. Mother of the year right there. Just to make Catherine's childhood even worse, it was later allegedly that she was being sexually abused regularly by several members of her family. Apparently, this did not include her father, who Catherine idolised and, like him, wished to work in an abattoir. But as you can probably imagine, Catherine was not super close to her other family members. In fact, she really only was close to two people, her twin sister and her uncle, Oscar Knight, who was a champion horse rider who in 1969 committed suicide. To this day, Catherine claims that his ghost still visits her 
By all accounts, the loss of her uncle really affected Catherine and she was shattered by this. In 1969, the family also moved back to Aberdeen, where Catherine was able to start attending the Musselbrook High School. And I'm sorry, I need credit there. I just said Musselbrook without pronouncing every part of that word because, as you know, it should be said Musselwellbrook. Muswellbrook. Muswellbrook. (laughs) Anyway. High school actually didn't do much to help Catherine. She didn't have many friends and was considered a loner and a bit of a bully to smaller children. And I think that's kind of like a normal reaction for a lot of abused kids. Yeah, definitely it can be. Some abused children can actually really withdraw from society and become quite sullen and depressed. Others tend to turn to aggression out of sheer frustration and a feeling of desolation, becoming the exact same thing that they fear, a bully. Sad. It is quite sad, isn't it? Catherine's behaviour at school wasn't limited to just teasing or saying shitty things. She actually assaulted a boy at her school with a weapon and got into a fight with a school teacher who actually injured her. But the teacher had done so in self-defence after Catherine had attacked. She was described as having rages when she wasn't having these outbursts. Catherine was actually a really good student earning awards for how well behaved she was. Uh, I might need to translate this a little bit. Um, Please. Yeah. (laughs) I think getting (laughs) awards for being well-behaved, most really well-behaved kids don't get those awards, do they? It's usually the kids that are not being all, you know, that are often quite um, less well-behaved that get the well done for not stabbing someone today award. Well done you. So um, (laughs) I feel like there's a TV show in that. Yeah, I think so. You know, when teenagers attack. (laughs) I like that. So Catherine lasted at school until she was about 15, so roughly around the year 10 mark in the Australian system. She still couldn't actually read or write when she left, but she managed to secure a job at a cutter in the local factory working with clothing. She was there for 12 months until Catherine found her dream job. So what is the dream job of a future murderer and cannibal, you ask? That's right, kids. Working in the abattoir, cutting up carcasses and awful. So delightful. So delightful. Catherine appears to have been quite good at this as she was quickly promoted to the boning section. (laughs) Boning. (laughs) So mature. I know. (laughs) I can't help it. And given her very own set of butcher's knives, exciting. Now, but I guess my real question here is, which genius armed this woman? Like, why? (laughs) Why? Well, she wasn't stabby at this point, though. So, you know, it's probably a normal thing for abattoir workers to get, you know, their perfect set of knives. Maybe. I'm going to have to ask people about that. (laughs) Mm, mm. We know a lot of abattoir workers, so, you know, that's an easy thing for us to do. Not. (laughs) Believe it or not, I actually do. Do you? Through my other job. You'll need to ask. You'll need to ask for sure. I'm going to have to ask. I'll do research and get back to you. So Catherine's co-workers recalled that Catherine seemed to get delight out of watching the animals slowly bleed to death. Yeah. And she would torture them as they slowly died and would actually come down in her lunch breaks to watch the slaughter of other animals. It was said she dismembered up to 600 animals a day. 
And then after a... That's just incredible. Yeah, exactly. And then after a hard day of torture and death, she would go home and watch violent horror. And according to one source, she likened it to watching porn. Oh, God. Right. Well, Catherine was really attached to those knives, so much so that she hung them over her bed. So, So they, and I quote, would always be handy if she needed them. This was something she would continue to do right up to when her knives were taken away finally when she went to prison. I wonder if, as well if that was part of her kink. Oh, goodness. Um, like, yeah. Why would you need them in the bed? Just say. <laughs> <laughs> in 1973, Catherine finally found love and it came in the form of a co-worker called David Kellett, her beloved knives above her bed. Kellett was another heavy drinker due to what is supposedly PTSD resulting from two traumatic incidents he had dealt with whilst he worked in the railways near Coffs Harbour. The first was the death of his bestie in front of him in a shunting accident. But wait, dear listener, what is shunting, I hear you say? Shunting, apparently, is the process of moving parts of the train from one line of the rails to another. It's not what I expected when I looked that up. See, I knew what shunting was from um, Thomas the Tank Engine days. Shunting, shunting the train carriages around. Who knew Thomas was so educational? Very educational. Mm. Very <laughs> The second messed up thing was an accident that occurred in Kempsey, New South Wales, where a school bus was hit by a train and he rescued the injured survivors. Six children died that day and unfortunately it really affected Kellett's ability to work. And there were noticeable deteriorations in his behaviour and performance, which led him to leaving and finding work at the Aberdeen Abattoirs and becoming good friends with Catherine's brother. So apparently, and I would guess this is due to all the alcohol potentially, Kellett would get into fights. And when this happened, Catherine would physically step in. She was well known for physically fighting, like fist fighting, with anyone she had a problem with. So in 1974, Catherine asked Kellett to marry her, with the couple turning up on a motorcycle with Kellett riding on the back, or as some people call it, riding bitch. So romantic. It is really romantic. (laughs) Kellett was very inebriated and is said to have had a really heartwarming conversation with Catherine's mother, Barbara. Kellett said, the old girl referring to Knight's mother, said to me, watch out, you better watch this one or she'll fucking kill you. Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her, cheating on her, she'll fucking kill you. And that was her mother talking, my goodness. Kellett then said, she told me she's got something loose. She's got a screw loose somewhere. Gee, Barbara, I wonder why that is. Isn't she a treasure? Such a treasure. Mother of the Year again. Her Mother of the Year award trophies. Just glistening in the sun. Straight to the pool room, is that what you're saying? Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, she was also right. On Catherine and Kellett's wedding night, Catherine and Kellett had sex three times and then Kellett fell asleep. Rude. Catherine was not impressed. So naturally, she tried to strangle him. Mm. Apparently, it was because she wanted to do it as many times as her parents did on their wedding night. Who sets that as the bar? <laughs> you said bar. Th- that's, not a, that's, not a lovely, that's not a lovely thought. 
Mm-mm-mm. I don't want to be thinking about my parents and what they did. Mm, competing with your parents. Mm. Ew. <laughs> now, unsurprisingly, this marriage turned out to be a rather violent union. At one point, Kat, while Catherine was pregnant, Kellett was like coming home because he had made it to the finals of a dark competition. And this made Catherine furious. And she actually burnt all of his clothing and shoes and then attacked him with a frying pan hitting him so hard that he fled to the neighbour's property where an ambulance had to be called and he was treated for a badly fractured skull. Police were involved, but Catherine was able to talk Kellett out of pressing charges. Kellett obviously felt this wasn't where he wanted to be and in May 1976, just after Catherine had given birth to her first child, Melissa Ann, he left Catherine for another woman and moved to Queensland. Now, when I say moved... He ran. I feel like running away from that crazy he was experiencing at home is totally justified in this case. Agreed. So the day after Kellett left, Catherine was seen walking her newborn baby down the street, throwing the pram around violently with her newborn in it. She was subsequently put into St. Elmo's Hospital and diagnosed with postpartum depression and stayed there for several weeks. Now, this time didn't seem to do much, though, because as soon as she was released, she took baby Melissa, who was only two months old now, and left her on a train line with the train due within a very short period of time. She then went and found an axe and went and threatened to kill a bunch of people, as you do. While she was busy doing that, poor baby Melissa was just hanging out on the tracks. Luckily, a homeless man spotted her and removed her off the tracks just before a train came. Catherine was arrested and returned to St Elmo's Hospital, but signed herself out the next day. I'm sorry, but how does one get to sign themselves out? I have no idea. Especially after that, my goodness. Mm. A few days later, Knight assaulted another woman, her neighbour named Molly, in her car. How'd she get into her car? Well, Catherine convinced the neighbour that baby Melissa was sick and needed to go to the doctor, but as soon as she got in the car, she pulled out a butcher's knife and slashed her across the face before demanding that she drive her to Queensland to kill it. However, Molly luckily managed to escape when they stopped at a service station. And this is why we need to keep our cars near empty. Yes, that's exactly why. (laughs) Police were called, and by the time they arrived, Catherine had taken a boy hostage with a knife. Mm. So naturally, the police disarmed her using brooms. Is that like a normal kit for police cars? Oh, oh yes, yeah. Brooms for the adults and dustpans for kids. And, and now we actually use Robovacs, you know, officer safety and all. <laughs> yeah. They apparently attacked her with brooms and were able to detain her and place her with the Morissette Psychiatric Hospital. Catherine was then able to explain to the nurses what her plan was had she actually reached Queensland. And she told the nurses that first she was going to kill the mechanic at the service station who fixed Kellett's car because that allowed him to get away from her. And then she was going to kill Kellett and his mother once she got to Queensland. Apparently she also then was planning to commit suicide afterwards, allegedly. Mm, She was a thinker. A planner. Mm. (laughs) Kellett was then contacted by police and told about what Catherine had tried to do. So he did what anyone would do. He left his girlfriend, packed up his stuff, and moved back to Aberdeen with his mother to take care of Catherine. Uh, (laughs) That 
is so painful to hear. <sighs> so, on the 9th of August, 1976, Catherine was released from hospital into the care of Kellett and his mother. And this happy family moved to Ipswich, where Catherine picked up more work at their local abattoir. Four years later, on the 6th of March, 1980, Catherine and Kellett had their second daughter, Natasha Marie, but luckily there is nothing recorded saying she was left on any railway tracks or anything like that, thank God. So for all of this crazy, Catherine actually ended up leaving Kellett in 1984 and taking their daughters returning to her parents' house in Aberdeen before moving back to, there's your word again, Musselbrook. <laughs> you did it really well. Well, thank you. She was able to pick up work as an abattoir worker, but soon had to give it up as she had injured her back probably been brawling, <laughs> maybe a cow got her, hopefully, and went on to the disability pension and moved into government housing. But romance was back for Catherine in 1986 when she met David Saunders. Saunders was a 38-year-old miner who quickly moved in with Catherine and her daughters. And this was another rocky relationship where Catherine would throw Saunders out because she was getting jealous about things he may or may not have done while she wasn't with him, at which point he would move back to an apartment he kept in Scone, New South Wales. Then in the fine tradition of the classical style of domestic violence, she would then go and convince him to come back. Catherine really went above and beyond when it comes to abuse, though. And if you don't want to hear about animal cruelty today, apart from all the abattoir work, of course, you may want to skip ahead a bit because we're about to talk about some rather disturbing things that Catherine did. Yes, thank you. I would love to skip ahead, please. And thank you. I'm sorry. You're not allowed. You have to stay. Uh, Very I sorry. I do not want. In May 1986, Catherine slit the throat of Saunders' pet two-month-old puppy, Dingo. Why did this sack of human excrement do this? just to show him what would happen to him if he ever cheated on her before hitting with a fry pan and knocking him unconscious. Okay, so this is the thing out of all the things that just makes my blood boil. She is an absolute scumbag. What in the fuckery did that poor puppy do to deserve that? Mm, yes, there is definitely a special place in hell for animal abusers. Also, I think we need to talk about removing her from the kitchen. She has a bad history with frying pans, I'm just saying. <laughs> She definitely does. Mm. They're pretty strong frying pans, I must admit, though. They must be high quality. Must be. It was the 70s, so probably cast iron rather than, you know, cheap. Oh, nice. Yeah, cheap aluminium ones. Unlike my, my Kmart ones. Huh. <laughs> the handle fell off on the other day. I wasn't even hitting anyone. I was going to ask, what were you doing? Goodness. <laughs> Okay, for reasons which are absolutely beyond me, Saunders stayed with Catherine after this, and in 1988, they welcomed Catherine's third daughter into the world, Sarah, which then prompted Saunders to put a deposit down on a house. Catherine then paid this off with her workers' compensation once it came through, which was about $15,000. That's a decent block of money back in the day. Yeah, in the 70s. Catherine then proceeded to decorate the house as we all do, except her decor was a little bit different. Mm, how so? She hung animal skins and skulls and rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes and pitchforks. 
and the whole house was covered, even the ceiling. So it was a super safe environment for her young daughters. Oh, God. (laughs) So anyway, everyone has a limit as to what they'll put up with, and Saunders was no different. After another argument, which ended when Catherine hit him in the face with an iron. Oh, not a fry pan this time, at least. She was having a time out from the kitchen. (laughs) And she then stabbed him with scissors in the abdomen. Saunders moved back to Scone, as was their normal pattern, and then eventually came back to Aberdeen when he discovered she had cut up all of his clothes. Because, you know, nothing draws them back in like that. Like, what the... Anyway. He then decided it might be time for him to do something about this, and he did something very sensible and ran the fuck away. Saunders actually put in for long service leave, and thanks to his friends, he was actually able to hide from Catherine despite her attempts to find him because no one would tell her where he'd gone. But wait, they had a daughter together, didn't they? Yeah, and that's actually what made him reappear seven months later when he came to visit his daughter. So when Saunders returned, he discovered while he was gone, Catherine had been to the police and gotten an AVO out against him, saying that she feared him and they believed her. I bet they're a bit red-faced now. Mm, I'd say so. After this, Catherine started dating a new man friend. Ooh, a man friend. John Chillingworth was his name, another former abattoir worker, and they started dating in 1991. It was during this time that Catherine became pregnant again and gave birth to a baby boy called Eric. There isn't much known about this relationship, but we do know that it lasted three years and then Catherine left him for another man, John Price, whom she had begun having an affair with for some time. Lucky guy. (laughs) So that actually brings us up to John Price. But unfortunately, Darklings, we are out of time. So that's where this episode ends and we will catch you on the next one. Until next time, Darklings. Bye, bye, bye.